Thank you so much for that prayer this morning, Aaron. And Ralph, thank you for your presentation this morning. We appreciated it very much. And as Pastor Chad mentioned at the very beginning of the service, we're trying something new this year that we hope to keep on doing every January. Obviously, this is February. We had planned to do it in January. The service was canceled because of the weather, so it'd been re- we rescheduled it for today. But we want to have a day every year, and we're going to coordinate it with the Gideons International, where our church emphasizes the absolute importance of the Word of God. Why is it that our church places so much emphasis on the Bible? And why is it important not only to us as a congregation, but to you as a family and to you as individual believers? The passage that I've chosen for this year is 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 14 through 17. It is a familiar passage, but a very important one on this subject. The Apostle Paul writing to his apprentice, Timothy, says, But as for you, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Well, our first point this morning is the Bible, the sacred writings. This morning, we come to a foundational passage of Scripture on the critical importance of the Bible. Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Now, this is an interesting chapter. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it starts out, but understand this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. And you may may be familiar with that first part of 2 Timothy 3, where Paul warns Timothy that there are going to be false teachings and there are going to be false teachers. In verse 13, he says, evil people. And imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. He is saying to Timothy, continue in what you have learned from the scriptures and continue in what you have learned from the scriptures. Timothy Do not depart to the right or to the left, but stay on the path of teaching, believing, and obeying the scriptures. And he says, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Timothy was exposed to the holy scriptures from the time he was a child. 
And this is a tremendous tribute, a tribute to his mother and a tribute to his grandmother. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. What a tremendous tribute to his mother and grandmother. Now, we don't know where his father was in all of this, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul specifically commends his mother and his grandmother. And what a reminder to all of us, and I want to say this to everyone here and all of those watching by live stream, the tremendous importance of teaching the word of God as a family in complete conjunction and harmony with a good, solid Bible teaching church. I cannot possibly overemphasize how important that is to all of us, that as families, we are teaching the word of God to our children and to our grandchildren and doing it in conjunction with and in harmony with a good, solid, Bible-teaching church. John, or excuse me, John MacArthur writes this. He said, Paul admonished Timothy to hold on to and stand firm what he believed, but he never had to correct Timothy for faulty doctrine or sinful behavior. Both as a child under his mother and grandmother and as a young man under Paul, he had been taught well and he had learned well. He is saying to Timothy, hold on, stand firm, continue in. But he never had to correct him for faulty doctrine, never had to correct him for sinful living because he had been taught so well in the home and in the church. What does the Apostle Paul mean by the term, the sacred writings? And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings? And I just want you to notice this morning, and I find it fascinating and interesting, that Paul is referring primarily to the Old Testament. When Timothy was growing up, there was no such thing as the New Testament. Hadn't been written yet. He would be part of that unfolding, inspired, inerrant revelation of God. So Paul, when he writes to Timothy, is referring primarily to the Old Testament. And notice he says, and this is fascinating, the sacred writings, the end of verse 15, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let me say a couple of things here. First of all, the Bible is the key God-ordained instrument for bringing people to salvation in Christ. Okay, I just want to say that. 
That's why we're doing this in conjunction with the Gideons International. They have always believed that. If you put what we refer to in theology as the naked word of God in people's hands, it can lead them to Christ. The word of God is powerful. It is the key God-ordained instrument for bringing people to salvation in Jesus. I'll never forget Chuck Swindoll many years ago saying, Christian, be careful when you're talking with unbelievers that you don't just get in debates and arguments. He said, give them the word of God. Give them the word of God. Give them the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Because well beyond your conversation, well beyond your conversation, the living word of God used by the Holy Spirit will be powerfully used in their lives. So when you witness, when you evangelize, it's great to give your personal testimony. That can be good. But you need to give them scripture. You need to give them the word of God. Romans ten seventeen. Romans ten seventeen. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's a good verse for us to have embedded in our souls. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Fascinating. So Paul is talking to Timothy about the sacred writings. The sacred writings are, primi- are primarily the Old Testament. So that means the Old Testament was able to make people wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Have you ever thought of that? The Old Testament was able to make people wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I want you to listen Again, I want a a quote from John MacArthur, and I find this fascinating. Listen carefully. It's not on the screen, but he said, Even before it occurred, even before it occurred, the death of Jesus Christ provided the satisfaction of divine justice by which God could forgive the penitent. Even before the death of Jesus, salvation was available by grace through faith alone, based on the perfect sacrifice that was yet to be made on the cross. I have shared this with you a number of times before. I want to share it again. How were people in the Old Testament saved? People in the Old Testament were saved the same way that you and I are. Okay? The people in the Old Testament were saved by grace, through faith alone, looking forward to the cross. We are saved by grace, through faith alone, looking backward to the cross. But every person who is genuinely saved, who will be in heaven one day, is by grace, through faith alone, in the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Okay? So... The scriptures, the Old Testament even, is able to make you wise unto salvation in Christ Jesus. That's how powerful the word of God are, or the word of God is. Well, our second point this morning is God-breathed scripture. In verse 16, Paul makes a bedrock statement that every Christian must believe and understand. So every single 
man, woman, boy, girl must understand and believe this statement. All scripture is breathed out by God. Verse 16. Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God. God breathed out the words of scripture through his chosen and inspired instruments, the authors of scripture. God so moved in the lives of the writers of scripture, so moved, so enabled them, in a sense, so overwhelmed them with the Holy Spirit that every single word that they wrote is the inspired, inerrant word of God. It is so important that we believe that. Every, folks, every word of the Bible is the word of God. From the first chapter of Genesis to Revelation chapter 22, every word of the Bible is the word of God. In our statement of faith, okay, in our statement of faith as a church, it says this, under the Holy Scripture, we believe that the Bible is God's written revelation to man. And thus the 66 books of the Bible given to us by the Holy Spirit constitute the plenary word of God. Now, what does plenary mean? Plenary means that we believe the Bible is inspired equally in all parts. We don't. We don't believe that some parts are more inspired than other parts. We believe that the Bible is equally inspired from beginning to end every word of it. That means the genealogies are inspired. That means the miracles are inspired. That means the writings of the apostles in the New Testament are all equally inspired. So plenary simply means everything, all parts. If you ever go to a conference could be a Christian conference. It could be a secular conference. They have what are called plenary sessions. Plenary simply means, like when you go to the conference, you can go to this breakout session and this breakout session and that breakout session, but they have plenary sessions. Plenary means all those other breakouts, all those other parts come together for one big session, often to hear a keynote speaker. And in theological terms, that's what plenary means. It means every part, every word, every part of the Bible is equally inspired. Our statement of faith goes on to say, we believe that the word of God is an objective propositional revelation, verbally inspired in every word, absolutely inerrant in the original documents, infallible and God-breathed. Before you can join our church, you have to fill out a membership application that says, I am in total agreement with the church's statement of faith. So you must believe in order to be a member of this church that the word of God is verbally inspired in every word, absolutely inerrant, infallible, and God-breathed. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, there are two key sections 
on the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture. One is 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17 that we're looking on. The other key passage you'll want to make note of is 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. And it says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. No prophecy, no statement of Scripture was ever generated by a human source apart from God. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Again, it means that the Holy Spirit so superimposed himself upon them that what they ended up writing, even though they used their own personalities and writing styles, that what they ended up writing down was the exact words of God in every part, in every word. The word all is very important. All scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul says that all scripture is profitable. All of it. It means, profitable here means beneficial, productive, sufficient. I especially like that it means essential. It's profitable. It doesn't mean, well, it's kind of good for us. It means it's absolutely essential. It's absolutely essential, first of all, for teaching. Teaching here simply means teach the church the word of God. Teach the church sound doctrine. Last year, I preached through the little book of Titus in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Paul says to Titus, teach sound doctrine, teach sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? I shared this with you when we went through that series. Sound doctrine is teaching systematically through the whole word of God, especially as it pertains to the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ as it is prophesied in the Old Testament and fulfilled in the New Testament. That's what it means. It means to teach. And I just want to say something to all of you here this morning. I would say this to every pastor I would say this to every small group Bible study leader, to every Sunday school teacher, even if you teach in the lowest grade levels, teach the Bible. Okay? Teach the Bible. I want to share something in love with you. No one cares about your opinion. Okay? People do not care about your opinion. You do not care about my opinion. We do care about the word of God. When you get in a pulpit, when you lead a small group, I don't care if it's you're doing one-on-one, you teach the word of God. It's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof. Reproof means to expose our sin to us. That's simply what it means. We need to know if we're arrogant We need to know if we're struggling with anger. We need to know if we're struggling with lust, if we're struggling with gospel, or excuse me, with gossip. 
The word of God exposes us for who we really are. We need to be reproved by the pages of the Bible, and we need to be corrected. Corrected simply means to take the word of God and show someone how they can live, how they can victoriously overcome their sin in Christ. That it's wrong to be arrogant and angry. The Bible teaches us to be humble and gentle. It's wrong to be lustful. The Bible teaches us to live with pure hearts, pure minds, and pure motives. It's wrong to gossip. We are to put away, the Bible says, all slander and all gossip. We are not to let any corrupt communication proceed from our mouths. We are corrected by the word of God. And then training in righteousness. Reproof and correction have negative connotations. Training in righteousness is a beautiful, positive phrase. It means encourage people through the word of God. Use the word of God to encourage them, to inspire them, to show them how they can have strength in Christ, to show them how they can have peace in Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And all these things happen that the man, that the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This could be paraphrased, enabled to meet all the demands of righteousness. Do you know what we need to live lives that are pleasing to God? You know what we need to live righteous lives, lives that influence others, lives that um, share the gospel, lives that shine the light of Christ. You know what we need to do that? One thing, the word of God. That's what we need. We need to be trained in the word of God, that the man, the woman of God may be complete, equipped, and I love this, for every good work. You can be fully, thoroughly equipped for every possible good work through the word of God. Think of what this means. You, every single one of you, can use the Bible to lead people to salvation in Christ. Every one of you can disciple people to know Christ and to live for Christ by teaching them and instructing them and sharing with them the word of God. Through the Bible, you can recognize and oppose false teaching within the church or without the church. So important today that we recognize false teaching. How do we recognize false teaching? By comparing it with the word of God. You can use the Bible to help wayward believers to come back into right relationship with Christ. You can use the word of God to teach people about the depth of their treasures in Christ, to teach them about their identity in Christ. And the list could go on and on and on. But let me end with this. What does it mean for each of us to believe that all Scripture is breathed out by God? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to me to really believe with all of our hearts That all scripture, every word of it is breathed out by God. It means this. The Bible is the most unique book in the universe. There is no book like it. 
There is no book like it. It is God-breathed, and it is alive, and there is no other book in the universe that we can say that about. In Hebrews 4.12, excuse me, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. There is no book like the Bible. I want to share something with you real quick this morning. I looked up as I was studying for this message, just out of interest, besides the Bible, what are the top 10 Christian books ever written? You ever thought about that? What are the top 10 Christian books ever written? I took this from a Christian literary society, and it's somewhat subjective because People have different opinions on different books. And this list includes both ancient classics and modern classics, which I like about the list. But here is what they list as the top ten, outside the Bible, the top ten Christian books ever written. Number one, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Number two, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Number three, The Confessions by Augustine. Number four, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Number five, The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Number six, The Life and Diary of David Brainerd by Jonathan Edwards. Number seven, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by Jonathan Edwards. Number eight, excuse me, Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. Number nine, The Divine Comedy by Dante. And number 10, Paradise Lost by John Milton. Now, if you go out and read those books, or if you've read them, they would be very beneficial to you. But I want to say this to everyone. None of these books can compare in any way to the Bible. None of them. So I want to end this way. How much time? Are you spending in other books compared to the Bible? I always read these articles by pastors. Oh, I read a book a month, or I read three books a month, or I I try to read 50 books a year. And I'll be honest with you, God bless them. I want to ask, so how much time are you spending in the Word of God compared to what you're spending in other books? I'm not saying, don't misunderstand me, I'm not saying you shouldn't read other books. But I am saying this, the Word of God should consume the vast majority of your reading and study on this earth. Okay? The Word of God should consume the vast, vast majority of your reading and and studying on this earth. You can read other books. I shared this with in our Wednesday night men's Bible study. I'm not going to give you some legalistic formula for how much time you need to spend. But men and women, the vast majority of our time needs to be spent in the only book that is breathed out by God, and that is the Bible. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the inspired, inerrant, and completely authoritative word of God. Help each of us to devote ourselves to read, study, 
memorize and meditate upon your word. As a church, this morning, Father, we affirm again that the Bible, every word of it, is breathed out by you. In Jesus' name, amen.